Rev Divers, welcome to the compliance episode of Rev Dive. You have Taya Moheiser here, Kim Tolliver, and our very special guest, Dr. Reza Guforian. Dr. Reza, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yes, it's such a pleasure. It's it's um, not every day that we get a chance to chat with a physician attorney or attorney physician. It seems like you're doing more attorney work these days than you know MD work. But we're we're so glad to have you here. Um, I know that you know you have a wealth of knowledge. I've certainly relied on you for some you know expert uh, you know opinions. Um, you know, we, we also wanted to kind of hear from you about the type of work that you do at G to Z law firm, as well as the work that you're doing at Perla. So can you just kind of give us a, you know, a, you know, a snippet of what you're doing? Sure, of course. So G to Z law group, we've been around since 2012. We mainly focus our practice on representing healthcare providers and businesses uh, and, and dealing with their legal compliance, healthcare compliance and regulatory issues. So uh, if there's an, any question about how to manage a healthcare legal issue, we can assist um, that organization. So that's, uh, we're a boutique firm, that, that, that's all we do. Um, in terms of Perla, it, which is a, a startup company that we just launched and, and kind of derives from our um, uh, experience as healthcare within the healthcare uh, world. Uh, so Perla is a platform that attempts to connect and match healthcare providers with healthcare resources, such as um, accountants, lawyers, uh, practice management consultants, uh, bankers and financiers, and other hosts of uh, healthcare specialized uh, consultants. And we kind of launched this because um, th there is a vacuum in the business from both sides where the businesses have, are having difficulty reaching the experts that they need within their field. And the experts are having difficulty reaching the people who need them just because healthcare is, is an environment that there is a lot of advertisement, a lot of marketing and, and, and reuse of the same keywords. So, um, you know, just healthcare digital marketing doesn't really mean that you you know you can reach your your client. It could be, uh, it could mean that you're trying to reach a patient or that you're trying to reach a doctor. So through that confusion, uh, uh, you know, we it, it came. A parallel was uh, was born to to kind of bring the two sides in, in a in a sterile environment together without all the noise that's currently available um, in, in on on the internet. Wow, I think that's that's so critical, and I'm I'm excited to hear more about what you're doing. You know, I think alarm fatigue and alert fatigue is so painful right now, particularly in in the healthcare industry, because we have this excessive amount of incoming information and changing regulations and managing clinical care, and all of this is occurring during the pandemic and really leading to high levels of alarm and alert fatigue uh, for clinicians, from, especially from a compliance standpoint. And so I guess my first question would be, you know, what strategies would you recommend to keep general compliance at the top of our minds as a priority to those who are responsible for risk management oversight within healthcare organizations? 
Yeah, Antea, this is a critical point because uh, compliance fatigue comes on top of other fatigue in the healthcare industry, right? So we have worker fatigue that, that affects increasing uh, increase of mistakes and, and quality of care of patients. We have alert fatigue with all the alerts coming from devices that physicians are, are missing alerts because they're getting desensitized to them. And now we have compliance fatigue on top of it. So um, how do we deal with, with specifically compliance because compliance is very important is that you know, um, we have to sort of um, approach it in a preventative manner. We can't um, approach compliance in, in terms of, hey, you know, we're not complying, let's fix it today and forget about it tomorrow. So it's a long-term process. You gotta think of compliance as a marathon that you have to run 26 miles, at 12 miles, you're gonna hit a wall. You have to go through that wall and sort of persevere to reach your end goal. So thinking of compliance as a long-term goal, creating a culture would be the basis of how you start um, you know, uh, combating all of these types of uh, compliance fatigue and not achieving your goals. So safety and quality culture is something that some of these uh, larger organizations that, uh, strive for, and it takes seven to 10 years to reach it. So uh, with having a mentality, creating a mentality that we're gonna do this for long-term, we're gonna create a safety and quality culture that we're gonna implement over a long period of time, it makes it more palatable, makes it easier. In addition, uh, and I don't wanna take too much time, but in addition to the having a culture, you have to do additional steps to uh, make sure that the culture is kind of properly implemented. For example, you gotta communicate your achievements to prevent burnout. You gotta communicate your achievements to, um, uh, to, to your organization so people understand the goals and, and the achievements that they have uh, reached. You gotta engage your workforce. You gotta empower the people in the front line and make people accountable so they, get in, they engage into into this culture and system. And at the end, training and retraining and making sure that everybody's um, getting the proper training that meets the reality of, of their business and what they see on a day-to-day -day basis uh, with, the, with the education. So the education can be something that's disconnected with the reality on, on, the, on the ground, which a lot of education is. And that's why many education and training is not successful because what workers see is different than what workers hear through education. So those are some of the steps that you can take in achieving um, compliance uh, or, or combating compliance fatigue in, in the workforce. And that's a really good point. And you, know, you talked about creating that culture of compliance and I'm a huge proponent of creating that, that culture of compliance. I think the other, you know, aspect of developing that culture is educating the workforce, especially the physicians. Um, and in particular, you know, one of the vulnerabilities that I've seen throughout the, the public health emergency is the misunderstanding of the HIPAA good faith efforts and um, the, the deprioritization of HIPAA compliance within organizations, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. So that has been a vulnerability that I think if we can continue to educate providers on the, the importance of prioritizing HIPAA compliance, even during times where 
you know, rules may, may become relaxed, it's still a priority. You know, you know, what are your thoughts and, you know, strategies that, that you would recommend for keeping HIPAA compliance um, as a priority within healthcare organizations? Okay, so first and foremost, I think not being compliant with HIPAA is like gambling. So one day you're winning, another way you're losing. And when you start losing, you lose a lot. Uh, so, and there's no magic bullet to being compliant, right? Compliance requires culture, requires doing things over and over to achieve things and implementing proper practices to reach a final goal. So how do we prioritize HIPAA privacy? Uh, we have to first understand that HIPAA privacy is important. It increases security and safety, and it decreases the, the cost of, of overall business losses uh, over a long period of time. And then, you know, depending on, on your organization, I think the best way, and I tell this to my, you know, small to medium-sized organizations who want to become HIPAA compliant, now take a step, a small step first, achieve that that step uh, and communicate it with your, with your team and organization and then repeat it, take another step. Now, if you really think about it, if you do one, if you fix one issue after you're doing this risk assessment of your HIPAA compliance, if you do one step every week, you can fix 52 issues over a year period. If you do it every bi-week, you fix 26 issues over a one year period. So, you know, you start, you know, First, you have to understand and buy into the notion that, that HIPAA privacy and security is important. And there, there are many reasons why HIPAA, HIPAA security is not or privacy are, are not a priority. And one reason is because of relaxing of the rules over the past one year due to COVID. The other issue is because uh, Office of Civil Rights has never enforced it much on certain organizations. And then they get into trouble and they don't have it and they're, they're in big trouble. So um, again, buy-in uh, and understanding of the value of HIPAA compliance first, and then you know, trying to achieve small steps, not thinking that this is such a huge process that I'm not going to reach it. And then understanding that this will over long-term long term is gonna save a lot of money um, and funds and efforts and time of, 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 of the business. You know, I think you made several great points in there. And I think, two of the key takeaways that I really wanna make sure to drive home for those rev divers is that if you're not focused on your compliance efforts, you really are gambling, right? You, you really are gambling. And I love that you phrased it that way because they're just taking chances and in the hopes that this isn't something they're going to be audited or something that's not gonna come back to bite them. When in fact, they could be very proactive about it by just taking that bite at a time. And I think, you know, this even translates into cybersecurity efforts, you know, many, many healthcare organizations were forced to adopt virtual care delivery options during the pandemic or to permit you know, work, remote workforce. And we expanded our daily reliance on technology just exponentially in the last couple of years in the healthcare industry. And though so other industries had already you know, done that, we were a little bit behind in healthcare. And we've seen so many statistics now during the public health emergency showing that there's an increase on cybersecurity attacks on health care organizations, I think because they knew we were behind the curve in terms of, you know, implementing these technologies, and we're just sort of learning that we're on the, the front end of that curve. And 
So I'm wondering if you could share some insight on how we could protect healthcare organizations from cybersecurity threats. Yeah, so cybersecurity, uh, Taya, as you say, is serious business. You know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of risk. There's a lot at risk. Uh, and, and there's a, a lot of patient damage that this can, that can do, not in terms of, you know, necessarily a medical issue, but there's you know, identity theft of patient records that come from these cybersecurity threats and, and breaches. Um, and generally, these breaches can cost you know, around $2 million for a business, and not even including the identity theft cost of, to the individual that they're going to have to deal with you know, bad credit and loans that are taken from the under name uh, and, and the you know, entangling of, of, of our in, uh, uh, law enforcement officers um, and system into this, into this whole process. So um, I think we are, as you, as you mentioned, we are kind of um, uh, pioneering in, in, in healthcare, uh, a, a lot of different uh, um, technology. We're using different technology in different ways, um, but then our businesses, um, even though they must use this technology now because of COVID, um, they are not ready and trained and understand the vulnerabilities that they have within their business. So um, I, I think we have to, at this point, really focus, since we've so far been focused on HIPAA, for example, privacy rules, now we really have to think and understand HIPAA security rules, the safeguards that they, that they implement for us. The, the administrative, the technical, the physical safeguards that they, that they set out. Do, do an assessment of your system. Understand your system. Know the different components of your system. Know your third-party components and their system. Now it's a digital world. We have to understand what we are engaging with and what system we're using. So we can't really rely on, on you know, not having, for example, uh, cell phones for our businesses anymore and, and relying on our employees' cell phones, personal cell phones to communicate. Now we have to make sure that we have everything within the, the boundaries of our business so we can control, put the proper security measures on it and control the communications that go out. So, uh, you know, in short, I think, you know, we really now have to focus on, because of these cybersecurity threats, we really have to start focusing on the security safeguards of HIPAA and really understanding the parameters. So we're not getting, um, you know, a $5 million ransom uh, uh, request on the Conti ransom, for example, which was one of the uh, ransomware that has recently been you know, devastating to the health, the health, um, the healthcare community. Now you, Everything that you that you're sharing with us today is so valuable to our audience. And you know what's interesting about healthcare leaders and and rev divers in general is that we have a you know an enormous amount of responsibility within our organizations. Um, when when we think of the revenue cycle, you know it's 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 managing patient registration. It's managing coding and documentation and charge entry and claim submission and working with insurance companies to follow up on denied claims and value-based reimbursement you know, program participation. There's so many 
there's numerous responsibilities that require our attention. And that definitely leaves room for gaps, right? Um, so there are going to be times where things fall through the cracks and we're left vulnerable for non-compliance. Um, if, if you could think of one vulnerability that continues to resurface that might not be as obvious as most people think it, it could be, that, that we need to pay attention to, what, what do you think that vulnerability might be? So um, that's a great question. I, I, I feel like there's a lot of um, issues that fall in the blind spot of, of organizations, uh, but something that I have recently seen that is coming to my practice uh, just recently on, on cybersecurity issues is, is uh, vulnerabilities of third parties that, that my clients have. So, you know, they, they engage with these third parties and they sign these contracts and the contracts say that they're HIPAA compliant, but it's kind of stops at that point. There's no more investigation into the exact manner in which this third party is handling um, uh, the data. Where are they storing it? Is it within the US or is it some other country? How are they storing it? Is it, is it to the maximum of NIST uh, requirement or is it not? Who's like in billing companies, who's, who's doing the third party billing? Are they sending it to another country, people in another country dealing with those uh, patient data? Then you can't really enforce, maybe you're HIPAA compliant, but you can't really enforce HIPAA compliance in those countries. So um, I think what's uh, what one of my recent clients have, have been very frustrated with is that they've, they've, they've been hit by cybersecurity. They've lost their electronic medical records completely. They, can, they haven't had access to anything. They don't know if this was a secure data or not. So they don't know if they have to notify and report based on, based on the security levels. And they're starting their negotiating process and understanding of what's happening with the third party now, rather than when they did the business associate agreement back then. So I think this is something that we don't think about naturally because we trust uh, as human beings, we trust another person who comes in and says stuff to us, but we really don't hone in and ask critical questions about how systems work to be able to avoid these, these blind spots and vulnerabilities when something bad happens. You know, Reza, saying that is, is so impactful because it really starts with the engagement. It starts with that initiation of services. And you're absolutely right. The business associate agreement is certainly not enough. Um, I, I think the uh, a best practice would be um, since we are ultimately going to be responsible for some of the non-compliance that may occur with our business associates, it, it's a good idea for us to consider assisting them by having them do self-audits. Um, and, and actually, I actually went through this with one of my clients recently, and it was it changed it changed the way that I do business associate agreements um, for, for 2022. Um, my client had a self um, a, a, a self-audit process for HIPAA compliance. And I was like, oh my gosh, why didn't I think about this? Um, but it's a, great, it's a great step to remind your business associates that, hey, 
you know, your security is important to me. It, it, it impacts me. And I'm not just going to sign a business associate agreement and walk away. Um, so, so doing that extra step of, um, you know, reminding your business associates to take, you know, additional action to make sure that their processes, their employees, um, you know, their, their workflows, workstations are protected, I, I think is a great idea, especially for physician practices who are going to be sharing PHI with others. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I absolutely agree, Kevin. I think that, you know, especially as we see um, continued big action against things like uh, patients' right to access, right? We've got the OCRs issued their 20th set of fines against an organization. And some of these organizations that are receiving fines are using third parties to perform their records release services. And ultimately, you know, the, the responsibility that onus is on the practice to ensure that they're in compliance, not on that third party. So definitely, definitely great advice. Dr. Reza, I cannot thank you enough for joining us today. It has been a pleasure chatting with you and for all of our Rev Divers. Please make sure to tune in next time for another great session. Thank you. Thank you very much.